All right, Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 62. We'll read through it, and then I'll, then I'll just kind of go talk through it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. How fitting is that today? That's really cool. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is said, the one who is least among you, um, all who is the greatest. You, you can figure that out. Sorry, I read it wrong there. Verse 49, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. At the time, As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Sumerian village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he said, then he and his disciples went to another village. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first I must go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow, welcome to this passage. There's so, how, how many of you have read this before? How many, this is kind of familiar, okay? Um, some of us, it may be the first time that we've read this. There is so much in here. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in, these, in this passage. So just know that what we talk about today is just going to be a little portion as to what this scripture contains. How often do we say this here, that on Sunday morning, uh, we will expose the, the scripture as much as we can, but if, if all you're doing is opening the Bible on Sunday mornings, you're missing a great portion because God speaks to every one of us and passages like this especially, if we were to sit down with it tomorrow morning, just you, your Bible, and God, God will show you some things that will bring you to tears. And so church, I want to encourage each and every one of us, I get the opportunity to sit down with Scripture. I'm kind of demanded to, right? Do we have that same opportunity? Yes. And I would encourage you, or, or use a big fancy Bible word, I would implore you to grab your Bible, open it up, read it, study it, and let, let the Holy Spirit just, just work in your heart. So let's jump into some things here in this passage. I, I just want to say first off that Luke, the, the guy who wrote Luke, was a pretty brilliant writer. He, he was pretty smart. He crossed all his T's. He dotted all his I's. He, he wanted to give an account of who Jesus was, uh, an accurate account of who Jesus was. So I don't know if you're a personality like A type and everything's got to be in order and stuff. I think you'd probably get along with Luke really well. I probably wouldn't like Luke very much. I, I, you know, I don't know, but maybe so. I, you know, I don't know, but I, he's a brilliant writer. He, he, he writes in ways, even the system of writing is just brilliant as you start reading his, his writing and how he writes. If you look at this passage right here, I want to point out something. The very first verse... In verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. 
we can pretty much summarize this whole thing by jumping to the last verse. It's called an inclusio. There's bookends. And this is what the last verse says. It says this, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we have the beginning, the disciples saying, fighting, who's the greatest? And at the end, Jesus is saying, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. But in the middle is this beautiful, beautiful verse that I want to point out. Verse 51. Verse 51 says, at that time, as, as the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What does this say as we look at the first verse? Disciples fighting about who's the greatest. We look at Jesus at the end of it, wrapping it up, saying, you know what, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the, the, the kingdom of God, service for the kingdom of God. But in the middle, we have this resolutely set for Jerusalem. What does this passage say? It says so much to me, but even looking at just the outline right there that, that we talked about, you know what it says? People that are resolute, that have heard the voice of God in their life, are running after God. And the rest of these verses right here are just content that's in this verse, making the point that people, if we've seen the face of God, which if you back up in this passage, Jesus just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He had spent time with God. He knew what his purpose on earth was. He knew and he set resolutely for that purpose. Do we set resolute on that purpose that God has for our life? Man, I hope so. Let's, let's keep walking through this because I just think this is a brilliant passage. We make life so complicated, don't we? You can say yes, unless you don't agree. Anyone here not agree with that statement? I think we're very good at making life really complicated. I can make my day off really complicated. Our family tries to practice Sabbaths, you know, a day where we focus on God and stay in our pajamas and do nothing, right? We get about half our Sabbaths in, by the way. But even the Sabbaths that I do take, I, I start itching about two hours in. I'm like, I got to do something. Like, ah. Like, we're really good at making our life complicated. Um, I... I don't think I have ADD, but I might. Like, I've, I've always, Chad's like, you do for sure. I've always got to be moving from one place to the other. And, and that's one thing that God's working in my life is, is slow down. Aaron, just slow down. Church, just slow down. We can make things so complicated in our life. Some of us, even, we get to the point where we're so overwhelmed that we dream about living on a beach or a faraway place to live a more simple life. Any of you ever do that? Like, man, if I could just live on a beach, a tropic beach, or... Somewhere cold, Iceland, Greenland, some, no, no. Does anyone, at times in your life, do you ever just go, God, I wish life was a little more simple, a simpler life, and I wish I can kind of escape from that? Anyone? Or should I say everyone? I think we all get to that point at, at some time in life. We're, we're honestly, we're just a little too busy. I want to look at this, this, just this passage in the life of Jesus, even with that in mind, like, a simpler life that maybe God's calling us to live, a, a lifestyle that God's calling us to live. Look what's happened right here, and, and we skipped through a, a couple things really fast, but Jesus, he's highly, highly sought after at this point. Like, he's, he's very famous. He was very, very busy. As we've been reading passages leading up to here, I mean, people are always pushing in to be near Jesus. Like, people are asking for his time. They're asking for their sons to be, you know, heal the demons. Last week we looked at that. 
We're, we're looking at parents coming after Jesus, say, heal, my, heal my, my son or my daughter. We're having people bring sick people to Jesus. Like, he is highly sought after. And if you don't believe me, look at verse 52 in our passage right here. Look at, verse, look at verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Like, now he's got an entourage. He's got people, he's got roadies, like people going ahead to set up and everything. Like Jesus is so busy and everyone wants to be around him. So I ask this question, do you think Jesus lived a simple life? Do you? Like, what do you think? Like, wait a second, what do you think? Did Jesus live a simple life? Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Wait. He's busy. Right? We, we see him busy all the time. Well, even, even looking at that... Um, <laughs> So a simpler life may not simply be just less on our calendar. Because if that was the case, then Jesus did not live a simple life. There's times it said that he was doing so much ministry that he went without sleep and food. So a simple life may not just mean less on our calendar. Huh. Okay. What about, what about a simple life of worldly possessions? Well, did Jesus own a home? <laughs> did, did, where did he call home? He was always moving. He was on the go. And especially right now, we just saw Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, but especially right now, he's resolute towards Jerusalem. He's on the move from now until the time he dies. He does not stop. And so it's not that he even has worldly possessions. So a simpler life is it that we just, you know, purge ourselves of, of a house and homes and shoes and all these things? Probably not that either. What does it mean to live a simpler life. Some of us say, well, it's responsibilities. I have so many responsibilities. If I could just shrug off some of our, my responsibilities, then um, I could focus on Jesus. Just, you know, use our word resolute, like focused on Jesus. You know, I, if I could just shrug off some of these things that are in my life, responsibilities that I need to do, and, and in almost in essence, what we're saying is we want to go be a monk somewhere and hide ourselves away, and then that would be a simpler life. I ran across a quote, and I think it's so good. It's, it's from Francis Fenelion. Anyone know him? You ever met him? I haven't, but I love his quote. This is what he says. People who neglect their duties to spend more time with God deceive themselves. You won't get closer to God by being irresponsible and calling it spiritual. That's crazy, isn't it? I want to point this out. Jesus, this is kind of a joke, so don't quote me. I'll have to edit this out, okay? Jesus even did laundry, right? In John 20, verse 7, what happened when Jesus raises from the dead? They come in and they find his laundry all folded up nicely in there. So that's a joke, by the way. It's a terrible joke, but I can do those. It doesn't matter. Anyone else have a terrible joke? We'll share them this morning. You don't think a simpler life is shrugging off all our responsibilities either because then we kind of become just useless human beings wandering around. So what is, this, what is this simpler life that if we all feel stressed out, I don't think that's from God, do you? And I think Jesus, as we look at his life, I think he's looking at us saying, hey, here's the answer to life. And we're going, what is it, God? Because we're stressed out. I mean, we're running 100 directions. We're getting sick. We're going. We're doing we're all this stuff. Our worldly possessions, our schedule, everything. What is it that you think causes us to live a simpler life or to say our life is simpler? Well, I want to look at this, this passage right here, and we'll talk through this a little bit. But I, I see three different categories. One, the very first one is Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? 
in verse 46, look at, look at that, verse 46, an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Can we hit pause? I think these guys were messed up. I think the disciples were messed up. Would you agree or not? Can I make my case first, and then you can, you can kind of think about it? Look, go ahead. Look backwards a little bit. Just, just verse 45, 44. Go ahead. Look, look backwards a little bit. These guys are, are psychotic. They're all over the place. Jesus just came down from the Mount Transfiguration, and the first thing that happened was this dad runs to him and says, heal my son because your disciples couldn't do it. Right? That, that, that just happened, and Jesus just got done saying, you guys, how long do I have to put up with you? And then he says something, and, and just in verse 45, they, he says something, and they don't understand him, so they ignore it. Like, it just, they ignore what Jesus says. And then, so this is, this is what I think the disciples are like. Um, you know, Jesus is rebuking them because they couldn't heal this, this guy, he, and, they're, and they're like, he says something, and they can't understand what he's saying. And they're like, okay, Jesus. Then they go, hey, I'm great. Who's the greatest? And they start arguing about being the greatest, and they just failed miserably, didn't they? Who, which one of them is great? Like, I'm, I'm thinking they're, so, they're weird. They're up and down. They're all over the place. They failed in the passage right before, and now they're arguing in verse 46 about who is going to be the greatest. Isn't that ironic that they're doing that? Do you ever feel like, feel like argue, uh, arguing or, or making yourself like, I'm the greatest person ever right after you fail your midterm or your final or you, did, you botched something at work or you, you forgot to pick up your kid from school because you were playing Nintendo and she still reminds me of that today, by the way? Do you ever feel like saying, I am the greatest in moments like that? Why would the disciples do this? Like They just failed miserably and now they're arguing about who is the greatest. Um, by the way, this isn't new. Think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be the greatest. Even Satan, Satan came up and said, you could be like God. You know, he doesn't want you to be like him. And so they failed that test. Like, they failed that test. But we can think back even further in history, can't we? We can think back to, to heaven. We can think back to when God created Satan. He created this being who's a, this angel, and he became a fallen being. But why did he, or, or a fallen angel, why did he fall? Because he wanted to be like God. I mean, they failed the test then. The disciples failed the test now. What about us? What about us? We could fail continually every single day, but yet sometimes pride sneaks in the way and we go, God, I want to be like you. Like, who's the greatest? I just failed. Oops, wait, no, I'm the greatest. I'm the world champion. Like, they're, they're psychotic, and I think we're psychotic as well. If we're chasing after anything that, that is less than God, then we're missing the point. We're always striving in general we're striving for better houses to have the greatest car, the greatest kids, the greatest talent, even the greatest nunchuck skills. Like, right? We're always, we're always striving to be the greatest. And as we look at this passage with the disciples, Jesus immediately comes and he brings up a child. I think that's beautiful. He brings up a child and he says, disciples, here you are bickering again. Here we go again. The only way you're going to get this is if I bring up a child and I show you what the kingdom of heaven is like and I show you what love is like. It's not about being proud. It's not about boasting in your greatness and what you can or cannot do, but it's like this child. This child loves me. This child runs after me. And I don't judge this child, but yet, disciples, you're out judging people all the time, and don't we judge people all the time as well? 
Jesus is looking at this child saying, be, be like this child. I know this. My kids, Zoe and Audrey, they don't care if I'm the best pastor ever. They don't care if I have the biggest bank account ever. They just simply want to be loved. Right? And they want to be known. The disciples, why would you care who's the greatest? Why would we care who's the greatest? Jesus is saying, hey, a simple life. Simplify this thing, church. Ecclesia, it's about loving me. It's about knowing me. It's not about you being great. It's about me being great. And that's an amen right there, by the way, if we're down south. So let's practice. Amen. The disciples were missing Jesus because they were wanting to be the greatest. We see that clearly. We go to verse 51, and we see the town missing Jesus because of their pride. Right? Let's, let's read through this. As the time approached for them to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew his purpose in life, which we'll get to that in a minute. In verse 52, Jesus sent his, his entourage ahead of him to get Samaritan village ready. Verse 53, but the people were there did not welcome him. They said, leave. The disciples said, can we burn this place down? Jesus says, no, don't do that. We'll go on to another place. Right? That, that's the story of what happens right here. Can, can I give you something? Here's a, a little background right now. In John 4.20, the Jews and, and the Samaritans did not like each other, by the way, because they, they all were arguing over where is the true place of worship. Is it the temple? Is it on this mountain? Like they did not, they did not mix together very well. And so here's Jesus, a Jew, wanting to come through, and they're saying no. Definitely not, because now you're going to Jerusalem, and we don't believe that's where the true temple is, so you can't even stay here. Like, you've got to keep moving, Jesus, because you believe that the temple is in Jerusalem. We believe it's on this mountain, and so you're wrong, because our tradition says that it's on the mountain. It's not in the temple. Jesus, you're wrong. And I look at Samarit- that Samaritan village, and I go, my goodness, he would have been the greatest blessing ever to enter into that village, but their tradition and their pride kept Jesus away from that village. <laughs> Is that us? Sometimes it is. Is that us? The music's too loud. They're weird. They do it differently. All their women get sick, you know, whatever. Whatever, dude. Whatever. We are so proud. And sometimes it's like we're looking at Jesus and we're like, hey, God about this whole love and grace thing, I kind of get it, but Jesus, get on board with me. It's my way or the highway, and that's ultimately what we're telling Jesus. We're not welcoming into the village. Think of the blessing he would have been to that Samaritan village, but they wouldn't even allow him to come into their village. Do we do that, church? So we have the disciples, they're missing Jesus because they wanted to be the greatest. We have the town, they're missing Jesus just simply because they're proud and it's their way or the highway. And then we have the men on the road in verse 57. And these men are pretty cool. There's three men that Jesus encounters on the road. Um, and ultimately, you can, read, you can read through these. We're not going to pick them all apart. To this, today, the, pas- the passage is more just general you guys are going to have to go through and pick apart the verses because I got overwhelmed. I just my, my wires started crossing. It's too good, too much good stuff. We could be in here for a year. So we're talking generalizations here, okay? 
So in verse 57, these three guys are coming. They, they come across Jesus. And these men miss Jesus simply because of all the busyness in their life, all the stuff in their life, and all the excuses they have in their life. They miss Jesus, all three of these guys. I am 39. It's kind of old. It's kind of young, too, but it's kind of old. I don't know if you consider 39 old or young, but that's the facts today. I've, I've encountered and I've experienced a lot in life and I've experienced moments in my life where being 39 and being married for 15 years with, with two daughters, 15 and 12, um, I just haven't quite fit the normal for my age bracket and especially as, as a dad, as a provider. I mean, n- no one in their right mind grabs their family and moves down to Mexico. That's just dumb. No one in their right mind goes around and, and tries, tries to raise support to, to go plant a church in Greeley, Colorado at 39 because that's dumb too. You're just not a provider. Like There's not a good 401K in planting a church. There's just not that consistency. And God's been very gracious to us. He's blessed our family. He's blessed Church Project, even financially. P.S., by the way, everyone should be tithing. I'm just going to say that. Okay, then I'll get off that. But here's, here's the deal. I, in my life, have had multiple times when people have come to me and they've made excuses why they're not following Jesus. And, and a lot of times it does come down to money, by the way. <coughs> Welcome to America. But there's, there's other excuses that people will come up all the time with, like why I'm not following Jesus. Look at these three men. They all had excuses. Some of them, even good excuses, like this guy who said, Jesus, let me go bury my dead father first. Well, in the Jewish heritage, that was important. You could get out of most every duty there was simply to go honor your father and bury your your dead father. That that was important, but even Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, enough with the excuses. Enough with the excuses. I've heard every excuse there is. The fact is, you're going to put me off year after year after year, and ultimately, you're not going to follow me. And Jesus knows this. And we begin to see a different side of Jesus starting at the Mount Transfiguration as he's resolute on Jerusalem. He's stopping putting up with people's excuses. And he's starting to speak in powerful, powerful ways. And he's starting to say, have you seen the face of God? Do you know who I am and do you know where I'm going? And these men are coming up. Jesus has given them opportunities to follow him and they're all coming up with excuses. Do we? Church, do we come up with excuses and make excuses every day? Why not to follow him? Why not to wake up early and to spend time with him in prayer and reading our Bible? Like, we make excuses all the time, don't we? I do, by the way. Excuses why not to take my wife on a date. Excuses why not to save money. Excuses why not to exercise, which I need to, by the way. I'm feeling really bad out of shape. Sorry, Darlene. You'd be disappointed in me right now but I'm going to get better, okay? We make excuses all the time for so many areas of our life. Why do we do this? And especially when it comes down to following Jesus. Jesus knows the fact that if we can make so many excuses that ultimately we'll end up just living life on our own. And that's a great, great shame. I want to focus on two, two, two more things and then we'll be done today. One is that word resolute in verse 51 because I think this is what really hits us today. Let's look at this verse. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Satan tried to get Jesus off task multiple times in the Bible. 
And we can think back to when he was baptized and Satan took him out and tempted him in the desert. Like Satan tried multiple times to get Jesus off task. But Jesus, especially now, is so resolute on Jerusalem, he's not going to get off task. We can think of church history. We can think of Nero and how Nero burned down Rome and decided to blame all the Christians. And so now all this persecution started happening amongst Christians. But what did that do? If you know your history well, what did that do? It made the, the Jews and the Christians go out to the dysphoria or go out into the wilderness, go out, um, out of Jerusalem. And then what did that do? It caused the gospel to go beyond Jerusalem. It caused the gospel to start going around the world. So thank you, Nero, right? We think most, most recently, here's a good example, the house church movement in China. Where has that come from? It's a book I read every, every year. It's called Back to Jerusalem. Fabulous book, by the way. And it's about how Christians, missionaries, got kicked out of China because of persecution. And while Christians were out of China, the gospel exploded. And so when the wall came down and Christians could go back into China, we found a China that was strong and running after God. Thank God for that persecution. What about our lives? Where is Satan trying to get get us off purpose? Some of us, we can look back to times in our life that was hard. Do you thank God for that time? That may be the time that God used to say, come on, let's do this, and put resolution in our heart and in our mind of how much he loves us. He will take us through the darkest of days. Do you believe that? But yet some of us, when we get in those dark days, we start cursing at God with all our might, and we turn and we run from Him. Are we so resolute on His love? Are we so convinced of His love and His grace and His mercy that nothing is going to get us off track? Church, I hope that's all of us. I don't know if persecution by death will come to America, But if it does, would you stand for Jesus and watch all your family members get murdered? Would you stand for Jesus no matter what? We we see in early church as we look at our church history where we see apostles, disciples, Christians standing for Jesus even when their brothers and sisters were getting dipped in oil and used as human torches. Do you believe this? If you just believe in Christian morals, then you have a good life. But do you believe in the person of Jesus and his love and his sacrifice and his mercy and his grace? And are you resolute on him? And if so, how far will you take this? That's the Bible that I want to follow. That's the person that I want to follow. That's who I want to set my life after. And I want to wrap it up just by looking at verse um, 62. Because I think verse 62 is a good one just to, just to remind us of church. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow, the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Let me put it in another way. No one can sing a song while looking at what they just sang. They've got to look at the next words, the next chord, the next things that's coming up. In a journey, the map you need is where you're going, not where you've been. Does that make sense? Christians, humans, are we so resolute on Jesus that we're focused on Him and Him alone? 